0: going into phase three of our construction project, and we've been talking about soul construction, the, nece- the necessity of having a healthy soul, and I started out, I believe I said this a couple weeks ago, that you, know, you can get to heaven with a broken soul, but your life on earth will be much harder than it should have been, could have been, and it was ordained to be. Shalom means nothing broken, nothing missing, and that means your heart as well. Not a broken heart, not broken dreams, not despondency and discouragement and depression on the inside. God wants us all together whole. The problem is life is a contact sport, and it's left many of us damaged. And it started out early. But God has given us steps in the Word to heal our souls. Not just not. Listen, it's 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 good to, you know, in the word of faith and even in the grace camp, we hear a lot about healing. And it's good to Yet yeah, your body is free from pain. That's absolutely wonderful. And that's the way it should be. It's also good to be prosperous where you go through life and you're not worried about. Am I going to have enough at the end of the month to know that you are well resourced? That's good, but it's not enough. We need to be all together whole, meaning that on the inside we feel joy. Amen. That we have a sense of happiness and encouragement. That we look with great expectation into the future, not with just, I just, man, I just wish life would end. You following me? Yes, sir. And so we, we've been talking about soul construction, and we started out with judge not just to stop judging one another on what we see and what we hear and what we think we know. And I shared with you that one of the true tragedies of being a judgmental person is that you're training yourself to be negative. Eventually you'll get to the place you don't see anything good in anybody. Because you're training yourself. So the, 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 the answer is, stop it. Just stop Judging, right? And then last week we talked about forgiveness, and and I'm so grateful. I know we got some folks watching us in other countries, and I appreciate that. And I've I've gotten some private messages. I've gotten private messages from other preachers like, thank you. And uh, so I know that these messages are making a mark. And I expect that today it will be no less than that. So phase three of our construction project is this, generosity. Generosity. Now I want to say this going into it. This is not a sowing and reaping message. I'm not talking about you giving so you can get. That's a parallel track. Absolutely. It runs absolutely parallel. But that's not the objective. Today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about how generosity heals your soul. Because it does more than just bring a return. Generosity. Not just giving nickels and dimes, being generous as a person heals your soul. Yes. You know, most of you know that uh, I'm a fan of, of the pre-1920 dictionary, and those of you have never heard me say why, I'll tell you why. Because in 1920, they made a, a decisive effort to secular, secularize our culture. So in 1920, Webster started changing the word, the meaning of the words in our dictionary to separate them from their Judeo-Christian biblical heritage. And he began to, because listen, if you want to change a culture, change the meaning of words. That's how you change a culture. And, but if you go in pre-1920, you'll find that all of the words had biblical connections. And so if you were to look up the word generosity, In a pre-1920 dictionary, this is what it says. It's defined as nobility of soul. Nobility of soul. Put up that slide, please. Generosity is defined as the nobility of soul. Meaning that, listen, generosity comes from a noble soul, but it also produces a noble soul. Noble means great. If your soul is noble, it's not broken. That's what I'm trying to say to you. If your soul is noble, it ain't broken. It's great. So we were not designed by God to be selfish, to be self-centered, to be self-absorbed. We were created by love. Now, I'm not talking about your mommy and your poppy. I want to go way back, way beyond the inception and talk about the creation. You and I were created by love. You, you, now, I know when I say that, because you think, well, no, no, I was created by God. Well, yes. And God is? Go with me, if you would. Put up on the screen 1 John Chapter 4, verse 7, I want to read you as we're getting started in this, uh, out of the modern King James Version, verse 7 in 1 John chapter 4 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Now love is of God, that does not merely mean that love comes from God, or has its source in God. It doesn't even mean that God is the author or creator of it. Because here's what I want you to hear. Love is not a created thing. God didn't create love. God is love. Love is not a gift from God. Love is God. All created things are of God, and they require God to sustain them. But love is not a created thing. This is so important. Because we need to, under, if, if it really sinks in that love is of God and God is love, then we know that the hands that fashioned and formed and framed us were the hands of love. That love had an idea and you were it. yes. Mm. That love planned your life, and it planned your life to be soaked in love. That love breathed into your nostrils and made you a living creature. That love ordained that you be motivated and animated and moved by love. Love is the reason for creation, not a byproduct of it. It is a divine characteristic. It's a divine affection. Love is of God. Hmm. But not as every good gift is of God. It is God's nature. It's His own love. The very next verse says God is love. If you would put up on the screen verse 8. The one who does not love has not known God. For God is love. In this, in verse 9, in this the love of God was revealed in us. Because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. See, the scripture says that God is love and outside of God, there is no such thing as love. Because love is God. And when God's in a place, love is in the place. When God's in a person, love is in the person. When man was separated from God, man was separated from love. And when man was separated from love, selfishness and self-absorbed and narcissism and egotism took love's place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, going, so I'm still talking about generosity, but I want you to see that generosity is love in action. Right. And that when love is in the heart, generosity is in the life. Yes. When love is not in the heart, there is no generosity. Yes, yeah. Go with me to John chapter 3. Verse 16, this is a verse you all know. But as we go, I want you you to, you can search the scriptures and you'll find God is the most selfless person in the history of creation. In fact, you'll never find anywhere in the Bible God did anything for himself. Everything God did, he did for others. Why? Because God is love and love is focused on others. Verse 16 of John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that He did what? God so loved that He? God so loved that? He didn't give out of obligation, and He didn't give because we deserved. I'm still talking about generosity. God gave because God loved, period. God gave because God loved, period. You see, love always gives. Lust takes. Love gives. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So according to John, God showed how much He loved by how much He gave. And this is what he says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was revealed in us because God sent his only begotten Son. One translation said God revealed or showcased his love in that he sent his Son. Right. Amen. So how do we know that God loves us? By what he gave to us. Amen. This is going to help. Go back to 1 John chapter 4 and let's look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation concerning our sins. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. See, I'm going back to where I started. Love animated us. And love is supposed to be what motivates us. Love is supposed to be what directs us. Love is supposed to be what controls us. And before sin, that's what love did. After sin, man was devoid of love. So now he was self-absorbed. What he did, he did for self. He had to preserve self. He had to think of self first. But see, we are recreated in Christ. Everyone say, recreated. What recreated us? Love. So that God's original intent would not be lost on the earth. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another with the same type of love. Now look at verse 12, because verse 12 is amazing. No one has seen God at any time no one has seen God. Now this is in the scripture. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, Every scholar I have on my bookshelf says the same thing. What John is saying in this verse is no one has seen God, but when they see you and me loving one another with the love of God, it's as if they've seen God himself. Because in you and I loving one another, they see God. See, nothing shouts God louder. Then, when men who ought not to like each other in the natural. When the world says we have every reason to be at odds. And we love one another. With a self-sacrificing love. The world sits back and goes. That's got to be God. And I don't even believe in God. But that's got to be God. Because he loves him and she loves her. And they all love each other. Everyone say love. Love Love always, listen to this, gives of itself to benefit others. We were designed by love to be loved and to love, to be inspired by love and motivated by love. And if listen to this: if sin had never entered in, there would never have been not one selfish act on this planet. That's a Selah one right there. If sin had never entered in, then Adam would have acted just like God. Adam's children would have acted just like God. Adam's children's children would have acted just like God. And Adam's children's children's children, down to a thousand generations, up to our generation, would be behaving just like God. Every man, woman, boy on the planet would be moved by love and move in love. Selfishness. Listen to this. I'm talking to the new creation now. Selfishness is alien to our design. And it's a bug in the system. Just listen to some of the synonyms for selfishness. And you tell me if this doesn't explain why our world is so corrupt and so messed up. I want to tell you the heart of our problems is selfishness. Globally, culturally, self-seeking, self-loving, self-obsession, self-absorption, self-regard, self-interest, self-love, lack of consideration, inconsiderateness, thoughtlessness, unthinkingness, heedlessness, regardlessness, insensitivity, tactlessness, uncharitableness, unkindness, meanness, miserliness, greed. Those are all an, the, the synonyms for being selfish. Wow. Little... What's the antidote? Love. Hmm? Love and action, a.k.a. generosity. Ancient, listen to this. Ancient Jewish wisdom taught us that to become a giver is life's most important task. Now, when I'm talking about giving, we've got to expand our understanding. I'm not talking about you giving another dollar in an offering bucket. I'm talking about you giving your time, your talents, your, your smile, your thoughtful, kind words, your life-giving words. I'm talking about a lifestyle of generosity, not an act of generosity. I'm talking about giving of ourselves to improve the lives of those around us. That's what proves that we have a noble soul because we're generous. When we have an opportunity to engage and better, we do it. it. Go with me to Acts chapter 20, verse 35. I want to read this to you out of the Passion Translation. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. I've left you an example of how you should serve and take care of those who are weak. For we must always cherish the words of our Lord Jesus who taught, giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. I almost switched my sermon to preach on that. And I'm going to do it in the weeks to come. Because this is so, it, it, it even, it's contradictory to what we've been taught in faith. Because, you know, I've heard people say, man, Pastor, I got blessed. You know when they say it? When they receive something, and I'm guilty of it too. When you get something, you say, man, I got so blessed today. I've never heard someone say that when they gave. Are we people of the Bible? We believe the book, right? Well, the book says the, the greater blessing is in the giving, not in the receiving. But we only think we're blessed when we're receiving. What if our mind shifted to be in alignment with the word and you came home one day and you told your wife, babe, I got blessed today. Really what you get? Nothing. Then what'd you do? I gave of my time to help cleave. I was out there sweating with Cleve. I am so blessed. I gave. But that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I've left you an example of how you to serve. Put greater joy not in the reception, but in the giving. And here's, here's just a rabbit. I'm going to chase a quick rabbit. You know why I think the greater blessing is in the giving? Because that's what heals your soul. That's the, the healing of your soul takes place when you operate in love and you put someone else first. Then you are by faith stepping over into love. Yes, Why? Because you know it's the right thing to do. Right. So in the giving of whatever it is you're giving, your talent, your time, your resources, in the giving is the greater blessing. I got one. In the giving is the greater blessing. In the giving is the greater blessing. So if we want to be blessed, we've got to learn how to Give. See, listen, generosity is the key to changing a generation. No one has ever changed a generation in isolation. No one has ever changed a generation by being self-centered, self-absorbed, and caring only for themselves. The people that change the world are the ones who care enough to get involved. I'm going to say, no one ever changed a generation in isolation. We did it by hooking up with one another. So, what brings the greater blessing? It's giving. Because it creates, listen to this, it creates the nobility of soul that you were designed to have at the very beginning. Hmm. Go with me. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not sure if you're ready for this, but we're going to jump into it anyhow. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Because whenever I talk to somebody, and I don't do this every time, it really depends upon the person I'm talking to. Because I know there are some people, if the Lord himself appeared in all of his glory, with angels all around him, and said, I want you to get involved, they're going to say, I ain't got time. So I don't say this to everyone, but many times when I talk to people, and I'm trying to get them involved, they'll usually say something to me along these lines of, well, pastor, I'll pray about it. And depending upon if I think the person is soft enough to hear, I'll say, you don't need to pray about it, I already have. And I have the answer, God spoke. And this is what he said right here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity... (laughs) if it's written, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Whenever, pastor, I'll pray about it. Whenever we have opportunity, I'm waiting for the Lord to talk to me. Whenever we have opportunity, if the Lord would only tell me what to do whenever we have opportunity. <laughs> I told you, <laughs> we should do good. To who? Everyone. When? Ever we have opportunity. And especially, everyone say especially. especially. To those of the family of faith. If you have opportunity to do good you ought to take advantage of it because in taking advantage of that opportunity you're not losing but see now this is this <clears throat> the bible says God will meet your needs according to his riches in glory you've heard me say before that the glory realm is always just outside your comfort zone Always. But I want to rephrase that. that In between me and the glory realm is this beast of a man called me. I mean, it's a giant beast of a man. And his name is me. And me always says, what's in it for me? What about me? If I serve all the time, I'll have no me time. That's the voice of a giant that stands between me and glory. And glory is where I want to go if I want every need met. Because God has promised, and he's not unjust, and he's not unfaithful, and he's not a liar. He has said, I'll supply every need you have according to my riches in glory. So what I got to do is get there. But between me and there is this creature called me. And me don't want me to sacrifice me because me loves me. Me thinks me is special. And me don't want me to lose me in serving you. Because you ain't as special as me. And I've got to overcome me. Because me stands between me and glory. I got to get over here because this is where God. See, now when these questions arise, and they do all the time and they do for every one of us. If I give everything, it'll cost me everything. And if I serve at every opportunity, there's nothing left for That's natural thinking. And you've heard me say to you before, you and I can never live a supernatural life with natural thinking. We've got to learn to think supernaturally and supernatural thinkers always engage God. They factor God into every equation. Is this making sense? If God's not part of the equation, you're thinking naturally. And natural thinking will keep you from supernatural living. Hmm. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust. Can you say amen? Amen. God's not unjust. So as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. One translation says, Your labor of love. So any labor you engage in that's motivated by love, especially to the household of faith, it would be unjust of God to forget about it. God pays attention every time love motivates an action. Because God is love. And when we operate in love, we're operating like God in that instance. Because we're doing something that is selfless. We're doing something that is not self-absorbed. We're doing something that holds no promise in the natural of return to me. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even sinners will do that. But when you and I can be like Him and love those who don't love us, do good to those who have done ill to us, to become such noble souls that what they say does not impact how we act. Oh, shalababa. To become so noble in soul that what they've done to us does not determine what we do to them. That's when love has gained the ascendancy. And now I am operating in the way that God created me to operate, not responding to people's provocations not responding to their hate words, not responding to their unjust words, but I'm living a life of love that lives almost as if I'm immune to what they say because what they say will never determine who I am because I'm created in his image and I will live a life in his likeness. And his likeness is love. Nothing on this planet is challenged as much as love. People in your own home will give you reasons not to love. But love is the thing that makes you both invincible and vulnerable at the same time. Without love, your faith don't even work. Love is the key. It's the key to life. It's the key to a whole soul. So for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name by having served. The, yeah, it's written. By having served. And by still serving the saints. Man, is it getting quiet in here. <laughs> See, I know we all, we all battle with that voice that says, what about me? I need my time. I need my space. Well, you can have your time and you can have your space or you can have the glory of God on your life. That's right, amen. But what you can't be is self-centered and anointed at the same time. That's right, amen. What you can't be is self-absorbed and useful to the kingdom at the same time. That's right. Because selfishness is the antithesis to the glory. Right, amen. You were created for generosity. You were created to give of yourself to make the world a better place. So he's not unjust. He's not going to forget your work and the love which you've shown toward his name by having served and still serving the saints. Listen to this. For God to forget your work, and I'll try to hurry up. For God, but I love you too much to be too quick. For God to forget your work and the love which you have shown, and how do you show love? What is love in action? Generosity. Would be an unjust thing for God to do, and God is never unjust. Let's, Let's take some cues from the ministry of Jesus. Go with me to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and He went about doing... And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. <clears throat> now, I, I've preached on this before, and you've heard that good and healing are not the same thing. The word good is actually, fi- I, I always struggle with this word. Somebody help me. Philanthrop- Philan- Philanthropic. That's what I was saying. Why do you always mess me up? Philanthropic. It literally means acts of charity. To engage in welfare of your fellow man. So not only was Jesus going about doing good, but he was constantly engaged in charitable works. So engaged that even though he had an embezzler and a thief on staff. Uh, let's, let's, can we, can we tra- chase that down a little bit? You all know that Judas was in the habit of taking money from the bag, right? And go with me to John chapter 12, verse 6 the passion translation it says in fact Judas had no heart for the poor he only said this because he was a thief and in charge of the money case now he was talking about the the great expense that was poured out upon Jesus feet but he didn't care about the poor he just wanted more money in the bag because the more money that was in the bag the more he could help himself to so he was in charge of the money case he would steal money whenever he wanted from the funds given to the support of Jesus' ministry. And yet, Jesus still had enough to go about doing good. Now, now, hmm. I hope y'all are getting something out of this. In the natural, most of us operate so close to the margin that if somebody were to hack our account and steal money, you and I would know about it. Because it would alter our lifestyle. Jesus' lifestyle and his ministry was not hindered by what Judas was doing. Judas helped himself whenever he wanted. And yet Jesus still had so much that he was able to constantly engage in doing good for people. See, I'm, I'm, listen, I want to tell you that when you engage God, they can't stop you. The economy can't affect you. Thieves, liars, and robbers cannot alter your lifestyle when God is your source. And the way God becomes our source is we become motivated by love. John chapter 13, verse 29. You remember this. This is when they were sitting at the table. And Jesus had just said, someone at this table, the one I dip my hand in the cup with, is going to betray me. You remember that? And then as soon as he did it, Judas got up and left to go betray him. But that's not what the disciples disciples assumed. They assumed Judas was going to do something for the poor. This is what it says. Verse 29, for some were assuming since Judas kept the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we need for the feast or else that he was to give something to the poor. Why would it be assumed, and I'm not trying to waste time here, why would it be assumed when a man gets up from the table, he's going to do something good? I mean, if you and I were sitting down and we're at Chick-fil-A eating a God-given sandwich, and you got up, would I naturally assume you're going to bless somebody? Maybe, maybe not. It depends upon what I know about you. If I know every time Brian leaves my presence, he's going to help somebody. Then when he gets up, I'm going to assume that's what he's going to do. They assumed Judas was being sent by Jesus to do something for the poor because that was the normal operating method. And yet Judas kept stealing and Jesus kept giving. Everyone say, but God. See, you and I are without excuse, because if God is involved in the equation, you will always have enough, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter what politicians decide. Our God will meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory, not whose hiney is in the White House. And we got to quit blaming them for our financial straits. Well, I can't wait till so-and-so gets back in. Well, if you ain't making it now, you probably won't make it then. The thing is to switch source, not switch parties. Yes, right. yes. 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 Hmm. Go with me back to John chapter 6, verse 9. A thief kept stealing and Jesus kept giving, and there was no decline in the ministry operations. Explain that supernatural thinking supernatural thinking I want to show this to you in operation in John chapter 6 verse 9 you know the story and I am trying to hurry up here but I, I really got to. Jesus decided to hold a conference <clears throat> and Jesus was long-winded because Jesus took a whole crowd his his congr- the, the crowd was so big they couldn't hold the meeting in the venue they had in town So they had to go outside of town. The problem with going outside of town is there were no restaurants out there. So this whole group of people, about 15,000 people, follow Jesus out into the country. Jesus is preaching, and he starts hearing stomachs growl. And 15,000 stomachs growling makes quite a noise. So Jesus realizes, he said, hey, the people are hungry, and he turns to the disciples and he says, give them something to eat. And the disciples are going, are you kidding me? We didn't know you were going to do this. We didn't know we were coming out here. We ain't got nothing. We thought we were going to go to (laughs) Chick-fil-A. There ain't no Chick-fil-A out here. So Jesus says, well, find something for the people. And this is what they find. Verse 9, there is a boy here, and who has five barley loaves and two fish, two dried fish, two sardines, That's what he's got. He's got dried fish and crackers. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? See, natural thinking will always keep you out of the spiritual realm and out of the supernatural realm. The Passion Translation says, look, here's a young person. Tackle him. He's got five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go with such a huge crowd? A.W. Towser wrote this, Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth whenever given to Christ. I like that. Any temporal possession, that means temporary, can be turned into everlasting wealth whenever it is given to Christ. The disciples could not see what Jesus could see. Jesus had a supernatural mindset. So verse 11, Jesus then took the barley loaves and the fish and he gave thanks to God and then gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. Miraculously, the food multiplied with everyone eating as much as they wanted. And you know the rest of the story. They gathered up 12 basketfuls But a natural mindset, when it comes to being generous with our time and our resources and our energy, engaging other people, we always think about what will be lost. Time will be lost. Resources will be lost. Opportunities will be lost. But to the noble of soul, nothing is ever lost. Because God takes what is given to him and every good deed that is done to him, and he blesses it and multiplies it. The key to having more than enough is not working harder. The key to having more than enough is stepping over into the supernatural through love and action. I don't know how to keep saying it in different ways. I want to bring this to a close. But I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 33. Was this okay this morning? The key to having a whole soul is generosity. Because you and I were designed, love is our atmosphere. Everything God ever created, God put in the right atmosphere. You know that, right? When God created fish, He put them in water. Why? Because water is the atmosphere needed for a fish to thrive. Some plants He put in soil. Some He put in trees. There are some creatures that thrive in the Arctic, but they wouldn't make it in the Sahara Desert. And then there are other creatures that thrive in the Sahara Desert wouldn't make it in the Arctic. You and I need to be in the right atmosphere in order to thrive. Yes. Love is our atmosphere. Yes. Love is what we were created to operate in, to think, love thoughts, to operate and do love deeds. Yes. And whenever we step out of love, we're stepping into the wrong environment. Yes. Then we wonder, why is life so hard? Because you were you are meant for the tropics and you're living in the Arctic. Matthew chapter 25, verse 33, I'm going to read a few verses. This is starting out, it says, When the Lord returns with all of his angels, he's going to take all the peoples on the earth, and he's going to divide them into two groups. And he will put the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 35, For I was hungry. Now he's giving us the reason for their blessing. Remember, it is more blessed to give than it is even to receive. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then, I love this, the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? These were people that were so noble of spirit that when they saw a need, they met it, regardless of who it was. They didn't recognize that was God. They just thought that was somebody in need. They were constantly engaged in doing good, and they had no idea. They were doing it unto God, because they said, God, when did we... We never saw you. That was them. When did we... And this is what he says. And the king will answer them. And say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. God is not unjust so as to forget your labor. He's not unjust. He's going to remember it. Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I want you to notice, the glory was prepared for the people. And that's where the blessed went. The accursed, where they were going wasn't prepared for them. It was prepared for someone else. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger... And you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison. And you did not visit me when they themselves also will answer. Then they themselves will ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Because, you know, Lord, if we had known it was you. If we had known that that was we just thought that was a bum on the street. We thought that was an inconvenient person at an inconvenient time and I was in a hurry. I, I mean, I saw you laying on the side of the road, but I didn't do it to you, so I felt no obligation to help. Because right. after all, i got to go to the church and pray. No. Lord, when because you know, God, if I had known that was you, I would have done it. Lord, when did we see you in any of these, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked and sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them and say, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. That's right. <clears throat> That's good. Now, I want to remind you, this message is not about increasing the size of the church offering. It's not even about increasing the size of the return, the harvest on your seed. The purpose of me preaching this this morning is for the healing of our souls. Because generosity, when we will divorce ourselves from self and we will defeat that monster called me, will step over into a place now love flows through me because I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about others. You know, in studies, and I am bringing this to a close, studies have shown over and over and over again that those who volunteer, whether it's at their local church, at the local soup kitchen, or the local community outreach, when they give of themselves for no other motive than to benefit others they are healthier and they are happier right. they have a better outlook people who do nothing but chase their careers they're stressed out right. because you weren't designed to focus all of your life on you that's just not God's way of living. It's all about me. And you'll do things if it increases you. But if you can't see an increase, you don't engage in it, you're living an alien life. Yes. Right. Yes, sir. But pastor, what about me? Forget about you. And let him take care of you. That's right. Because he has promised, if you'll take care of them, I'll take care of you. And living a life of generosity is how we were designed to live. It's about having a healthy soul. Two statements and then we'll close. Generosity is love in action. And engaging in active, consistent generosity heals the broken soul. Now imagine, borrowing some words from John Lennon. Imagine a world without hate. If you can. Imagine a world where there is no selfishness. No selfishness in your home. No selfishness on the job. Imagine a world where every husband tries to outgive the wife. And every wife tries to outgive the husband. And the children try to outgive the parents. And everyone blesses everyone everywhere you go. You know, you can create that world by becoming that person. It doesn't matter if no one else lives in that world with you. If you'll decide, I'm going to become this person that just wants the love of God to flow through me to each and every person I see, if if I have nothing else to give them but a smile and a kind word, I will not let one soul come across my path that I don't seek to make better. If all I can do is give him a handshake and a pat on the back, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity to do good. And then I'm going to trust God. Can I say one more thing? I know I told you. The unsaved man and the saved but unspiritual man have something in common. Neither one of them trusts God. I'm going to say that again, the unsaved man, those who are in the world without God and without hope, they don't trust God. The saved man, who's yet unspiritual, has something in common with him. He doesn't trust God either. He doesn't trust God enough to risk loving because he remembers as a child when he loved, he got hurt she remembers as a teenager when she loved, she got abused. And so they go through life in isolation because they're afraid if I love, I'm going to get hurt again. But God. You and I need to learn to trust God. And with all of our talents and all of our resources, everything we have and everything we've got, everything we are and everything we're not, Say, God, it's yours. And if you have need of anything, there's nothing I possess that possesses me. And I want everything that's temporal to become eternal by giving it to you. Would you stand to your feet this morning?